This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Tonight, I'd like to focus on the 70 weeks prophecy. And then next week, I'd like to give a summary of Daniel's fourth vision in chapters 10 through 12 and focus on some of the highlights, such as angelic warfare, the great tribulation, and the resurrection of the dead as they are contained in Daniel 10 through 12. I gave Dr. Long a a copy of our final exam tonight. He's gonna graciously have it typed and run off. And uh, I'd like to have everybody get a copy of the final exam, not just our crediting students, uh, so that you can interact with the material, use it as a study aid. And uh, so hopefully we'll have that ready for next week. It's not too late to take the class for credit. We are very, very flexible. Um, The way the class is put together is if you'd like to take it for credit, all you have to do is do the Bible reading, write out a favorite verse from each chapter, Read our excellent textbook by Dr. Showers on the Most High God, a commentary on Daniel, and uh, my book on Thy Kingdom Come on Daniel is very easy reading. And then you simply have to take the final exam, which I will pass out next week. And the final exam is an open Bible, open note uh, exam. And it's true and false. And so you can go through your notes and it's on the lecture notes, and you can find the answers and interact with the material. And I don't mind if you ask other people who maybe in some areas took better notes than you. So it takes some work, but it's very doable. If you want to take the class for credit, and you do the reading, and you do the final exam, uh, you're going to get a good grade. And we'll be happy to, uh, to uh, supply that college credit. Uh, if you are interested in taking it for credit, uh, it's a... Uh, fee, that includes everything, not just tuition, but any application, any processing that Tabernacle Baptist does. And all you would have to do is make the check out to TBBCS, Tabernacle Baptist Bible College and Seminary. So if you want to take the class for credit, I'll give you months to get the work in. Uh, My schedule is is very flexible. Um, And uh, if we had two, three, four, five people crediting, when I had the privilege of teaching at Pensacola Christian in the early years of the college back in the 70s, you might have three sections of New Testament survey, and you might have in those three sections 165 students. And then you had to be very, very careful about grading and what you could do. But if you only have four or five students, I could be very flexible in terms of letting you get the work in, grading it interacting with you, and I'm sure you get a good grade. So if you would, if you would like to take the class for credit, uh, uh, just write out a check for $65 to TBBCS, and uh, just do the reading in the syllabus, which is on the back table there. Uh, it consists of reading Daniel through one time in your King James Version, writing out one verse, one, one verse from each chapter, and then reading the major textbook by Dr. Showers, which is very readable and enjoyable, and Most High God, and then reading the Daniel section of my 
uh, Thy Kingdom Come, which is only about 15, 20 pages, and uh, then turning in the final exam, which will be a 25-question uh, true or false test, plus it'll have some extra credit on it, and uh, it'll be very doable because it's open Bible and open notes, and you can have weeks to turn it in, and uh, I just want you to interact with the material, but I don't want anybody to get a bad grade. You'll get a good grade if you do the work. And uh, we'll be happy to have you be part of the class, get the credit and do that. So uh, feel free to jump in. Feel free to ask me any questions you have about that. But uh, we'd love to have some of you take that for credit uh, as, as the Lord leads. I did want to say one thing tonight about the books on the back table. I've been saving this mostly for the whole semester. I want to give you the biggest reason for getting the books. The biggest reason for taking some books home. The biggest reason for taking the books home is not so that you'll be blessed and learn more about the Bible. That's not the biggest reason. I hope that'll happen. It's not encouraging us in our writing ministry uh, by participating. Uh, that is important to me. I appreciate encouragement, but that's not the biggest reason. Uh, sharing them with somebody, and uh, that person might read the good news table. I got to lug them all into my car, carry them back to the college, put them in my storage area behind the sanctuary, and that could be hard on my back. So the biggest reason is we want you to help me not have to take so many books back with me. So uh, they're back there, and we would love to have you look those over. Let's pray. Dear Lord, please take the things of Christ and show them unto us so that he will be high and lifted up in our hearts. Bless each class now and each teacher. Bless Good News Baptist Church. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. We're going to try to cover four verses tonight and then three chapters next week. And I'm not sure which will be the hardest. Daniel has already received two visions, one in chapter 7, one in chapter 8. He receives a third vision, that of the 70 weeks prophecy in chapter 9. At the beginning of the chapter, he is searching the scriptures with anticipation. The Babylonians have just been defeated. The Persians are the new rulers. And as he is searching the scriptures, he comes across in Jeremiah 25, 11, and 12, and Jeremiah 29, 10, the amazing prediction that Israel's exile would last 70 years. And he realizes the 70 years are almost up, and he feels like he's on the verge of history. He knows that Israel was sent into captivity because of her serious sins against God. And so in verses 3 through 19, he prays an intercessory prayer, confessing the sins of the nation and his sins and begging God for forgiveness and asking him to restore the city and the sanctuary. In verses 20 through 23, the angel Gabriel flies swiftly to him from heaven and says, God has heard your prayer, and he's going to bless. 
And then Gabriel gives to Daniel the famous 70 weeks prophecy in verses 24 through 27. Israel has, uh, is on the verge of coming back to the land after being away 70 years. But God tells them after the 70 years of the Babylon captivity, God's going to give Israel another time of discipline. This time it'll be 70 times seven years. 70 weeks of years. 490 years. And at the end of that period, there'll be something much more glorious than Israel's restoration to the land after the captivity. There'll be the Messiah who will come, who will bring Israel into the new covenant and uh, gloriously bless them and rule over all the earth with them. And uh, it'll be even a more incredible return. The return of Jewish people from all over the world in connection with the second coming of Christ is a major event in prophecy. In fact, Jeremiah 23, 1 through 8 says that even though the main redemption event of the Old Testament was the Exodus, some 125 times God identifies himself in the Old Testament as the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And when men would take an oath, they would take an oath in the name of God who brought Israel out of Egypt in Old Testament times. But Jeremiah, looking forward to the days of King Messiah, says the time will come when men will no longer say, the Lord liveth that brought Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord liveth that brought Israel out of the north country and from all countries where they were scattered, and he'll bring them back safely to their land. And they'll enjoy the millennium and serve in the millennium with King Jesus. So these are major events that the 70 weeks prophecy is looking forward to. The 70 years pointed Israel to her God, the gods of the other countries. She was sent into captivity for the sin of worshiping foreign gods. I will remove the iniquity of that land. But a historical in one day. miracle took place in those 70 years. When she. In 1917, the land, in part, was restored to Israel in connection with World War I. Shortly after World War II in 1948, Israel became a nation state and Jews were pouring back into the land. The Jewish people are encouraging immigration today in Israel. When I had last read about it, immigration was the number two item on Israel's national budget, second only to military. And they encourage people from all over the world to come and acclimate them. World War I prepared the land for the Jews. World War II prepared the Jews for the land. Let me run that by you again. World War I prepared the land for the Jews. In 1917, in connection with World War II, Britain's victory and the Allies' victory over the Ottoman Empire, 
it was worked out that part of the promised land would be restored to Israel for the first time in centuries. But not too many came back. But then as a result of the Holocaust and all the horrors of World War II, the Jews realized that it was hard to find safety anywhere in the world unless they could find it in their own homeland. And they were greatly inspired to return as a result of World War II and are continuing to return. Israel became a national state on May 17, 1948. Prophetic scholar Bob Shelton, in his excellent book, God's Prophetic Blueprint. Well, I'm not sure he does this in the book. I've read it, but my memory's a little bit faint. But I remember him saying this to us personally in a Bible conference at Tabernacle back in 2001. I think he says it in the book too, but I remember him saying it to the student body. He said, I was a young man when Israel became a nation on May 17, 1948. And he said, the day Israel became a nation in her own homeland, he said, that was the most significant event in my life, says Bob Shelton. That was the most significant event in my life. There are so many prophecies that are building up and converging as we enter into the end times. But for a lot of them to be fulfilled, Israel has to be back in the land. And now she's back in the land. And own as Messiah, the very enemy of God, in her desperate effort to find identity and hope. But Israel is now back in the land. Then Ezekiel is told to prophesy unto the winds and breathe upon those dead bodies. And the Spirit of God enters into them and they stand upon their feet an exceeding great army. That's the final phase of restoration when King Jesus comes back and gathers all Jews from all over the world. And as Paul says, after the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, so all Israel shall be saved in Romans 11. Jesus very faithfully said in John 5.43, I am come in my Father's name and you receive me not. Another shall come in his own name and him ye will receive. Faithful words. Now there are two main words in the Greek language for other. One is alas, which means another of the same kind. But another is heteros, which means another of a different kind. And in John 5.43, Jesus uses the word heteros, another of a very different kind. I am come in my Father's name with all the backing of heaven and the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And me, you have not received. But another, heteros, another who's very different than I am. He'll come in his own name, apart from heaven's backing and God's authority. He'll claim to be the Messiah, but have no Old Testament backing. But he'll be the kind of Messiah that suits you, so you think. And him ye will receive. And the rejection of the true shepherd, and then the tragic acceptance of the foolish shepherd, all of this is spelled out in Zechariah chapter 11. 
which was Jesus' frame of reference for that comment he made in John 5.43. And if you have a chance this week, read Zechariah 11. Israel has been called God's time clock. Because if you want to know where world history is at, see where Israel's at in terms of Bible prophecy. And the 70 weeks prophecy has been called the backbone of Bible chronology because it gives us a framework to fit in so many other predictions. With that in mind, I'd like to do this. I'd like to simply read to you Daniel 9, 24 through 27. And then I have one big question for you, which will be this. The big open question. Interpret it. Tell me anything you'd like about what you think it means. And after you share that with me, then we'll kind of dig in more in detail together, okay? Here's the prophecy. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Wow, there's a lot here. Would anybody like to jump in and just tell me what you think some of this means? A lot here. Uh, maybe a humble confession, John. Humble confession. When I was about 20 years old or a little older, I decided to study the 70 weeks prophecy and hope to write a book about it. And I jumped in and got into it, but never, never... Uh, was able to get the book together. I've been studying it for 55, 60 years now and still trying to better understand it. Uh, John, you were going to say something? It seems like the first few verses trying to bring everything to a conclusion. Like talks about and, uh, to finish the transgression or to make an end. And uh, it seems like they're just trying to bring it to a conclusion in a manner. Yes, that's good. When these 70 weeks have run their course, six wonderful things will take place in connection with the second coming of Christ. Once Israel's in a position to receive her Messiah and these blessings, that's involved. Just like at the end of the 70 years, she'd be blessed by being restored to her land. Anybody else? Anything else jump out at you? Yes, Ben. Um, 
Yes, Messiah shall be cut off. I think that's verse 26, but yeah. Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Yes. That's the crucifixion. Yeah, it's interesting that John 12, Jesus says in reference to the crucifixion, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this earth be cast out. Uh, the cross, in a sense, is a judgment of the world for killing its creator and rejecting its Messiah. And the outworking of that judgment publicly will be at the second coming of Christ. But there's a sense in which the whole world is judged due to the crucifixion. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Sandy, excuse me. My dear wife has told me on more than one occasion that she thinks my hearing is (laughs) declining. Could you say that a little louder, please? Yes. That's very important. There's a gap between the end of the 69th week and the beginning of the 70th. Now, the, re- the, the building of Jerusalem will take place before the end of the 69th week. Right. Uh-huh. But the temple, yeah, my answer is what's confused. When, when the temple will not be rebuilt the third time, no, that's the second time, the second week, when right at the beginning of the seven years, tribulation, the fish is brought away, it will not be stolen. Yeah, there'll be another temple built then. Yeah. When the Jews returned from exile, they did build a temple, which Herod, shortly before Christ's birth, greatly enlarged. But that's what the Romans destroyed in AD 70 completely. Yes, that's the tribulation temple. That's the third temple, right? That's the tribulation temple. But the gap between the 69th and 70th week. Well, the text does say that two big events will happen between those two weeks, between the 69th and 70. Messiah will be cut off, crucifixion, and the Romans will destroy the Jewish temple, which happened in AD 70. So we know the gap has to be to the burning of the temple. But many, many Bible-believing teachers in our circles believe that the entire church age that we're in right now will be within that gap. Because the 70th week is the tribulation period, and we believe, if we understand scripture correctly, like Brother Davis said at the beginning about, uh, did you get up this morning thinking of the rapture? That could happen today. And uh, before the tribulation, 
So we believe the entire church age will be in that gap. We don't know how long it will last, but it's lasted some 2,000 years now. Oh, I, I, pr I appreciate what you're saying. One of the questions I like to ask is, when will Jesus come back for his church? And I believe that it's a threefold answer. His coming is imminent. Could come today, but doesn't have to. But could. Immediate. He's coming back soon because the signs of the times pointed to nearness of his visible return after the tribulation and the rapture seven years earlier than that. So if we're starting to see the signs form, we believe it's near. But the third word is impossible. We must not set a date or in any way try to pin it down. I think we need to keep these terms in dynamic tension. <coughs> Imminent could come at any moment, but doesn't have to come right away. Immediate must come soon because the signs of the times are forming. But impossible, impossible to say exactly when and to pinpoint a date. I think if we keep those in dynamic tension, uh, we can have a sense of we're really looking forward to it. We don't think it's far off, but in the meantime, we invest till he comes and uh, ever look uh, for his soon return. Matthew Henry says that we should keep one eye on the sky and uh, one foot on the ground. Uh, be anticipating, but at the same time, keeping on with the work that's in front of us in the light of that soon return. Well, th these are good responses. What I'd like to do and I have a fair amount of material in the notes, but what I'd like to do is I'd like to read through the passage again, and this time I'd like to try to interpret it. Seventy weeks. I believe these weeks are weeks of seven years. So, 70 weeks of years would be 490 years. They're determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. This prophecy doesn't deal directly with the church. It deals with Daniel's people and Daniel's sanctuary. For our millennial friends to try to tie it into the church age, I believe, is to misunderstand this passage. These, this is a period of discipline and preparation for Israel to get her ready to receive her Messiah at the second coming. It pertains to Israel, not the church. As a result of this time of preparation and discipline, as God gets his people ready to receive Messiah, once the 70 weeks have run their course and accomplished their purpose, and Israel has looked upon him whom she's pierced and turns to him in national repentance, Jesus at his second coming will bring in six wonderful things to finish the transgression that might have particular reference to Israel's sin of rejecting her Messiah. 
persisting all these years and now no longer rejecting him and saying his blood be on us and on our children. And to make an end of sins, God will effectively deal with all the sins of the Jewish people and uh, cleanse them and renew their hearts as they enter into the millennium. And to make reconciliation for iniquity, Jesus the first time paid for the sins of the world at Calvary and established a new covenant. And at the second coming, Israel as a nation will enter into that new covenant and know forgiveness of sins and have God's law written in their hearts. And when the nation turns to God, God will bring an everlasting righteousness. Christ will rule in righteousness at the start of the millennium, and that righteousness will continue through the millennium and all throughout the new heavens and earth. To seal up the vision and prophecy, all the many prophecies that pointed to Christ's first coming and second coming will be wonderfully fulfilled in connection with Christ's coming and his kingdom. And then to anoint the most holy, most scholars take that to mean the most holy place, the holy of holies in the newly built temple that Messiah will build for Israel that will be the place from which he will reign in the millennium. I believe, and we'll talk more about this next week, I believe there's a 75-day transition period between the end of the tribulation and the formal beginning of the millennium. And in between that time, Jesus will build the millennial temple. And there's a wonderful passage back in Zechariah 6, 12 and 13 that says, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord. And he shall bear the glory, and shall sit upon his throne, and be a priest upon his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. I take that to mean between his offices of priest and king. As he rules from that wonderful millennial temple as priest king, in the tradition of Melchizedek, who is a priest king, of whose order Messiah is. And I believe, if you want a wonderful description of how that temple will be built and how it will operate, read Ezekiel 40 through 48, where God goes into it in detail. It's an extensive passage of scripture. Ezekiel 40 through 48 is longer than our entire New Testament book of Hebrews. And God goes into this a whole lot and it's, it repays diligent study. Not easy reading, but it repays diligent study. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth for the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. This is the starting point the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. Most people in our independent Baptist circles believe that this is the decree of King Artaxerxes in the 20th year of his reign in 445 BC that sends Nehemiah back not only to build the walls but to restore a city that's still largely in rubble and get it completely rebuilt. The walls were built in 52 days but it took 49 years for the city to be completely restored after the Babylonian captivity. 
So this would give us the starting point of these 70 weeks of years at 445 BC with the decree of Artaxerxes to send Nehemiah back to rebuild the city and sanctuary. This temple was already built, excuse me, in 520, but uh, the city was still largely in ruins, so it would be to restore Jerusalem and uh, to build it up. And from the beginning, 445 BC, there would be 69 weeks, and then we would be brought to Messiah the Prince. Unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. Seven weeks, and then an additional 62 weeks or 69 weeks, and according to many people in our independent Baptist circles. There's another way to look at this that's also very good, but probably most people in our circles would look at it this way. That would bring you to the year A.D. 32, when Messiah rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and presented himself as king in the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And according to this understanding, Messiah will come at the end of the 69 weeks and he'll present himself to Israel as king riding into Jerusalem. Initially, there'll be a positive response, Hosanna, but soon popular opinion inspired by a corrupt leadership will turn against him and the Hosannas will be drowned out and they'll say, crucify him, crucify him, and they'll reject him. So it's believed that at the end of the 69 weeks, Messiah comes to present himself as king. Now it says, the street shall be built again in the wall even in troublous times. He divides the prophecy into seven weeks and an additional 62 weeks. You put them together and you have 69 weeks, that's when Messiah comes to present himself. There's another way of calculating this so the 69th week ends with Christ's baptism at the Jordan River as he begins his public ministry among the Jews. But most people in our circle, 69 weeks to end at Palm Sunday in a triumphal entry. But he says seven weeks and then 62 weeks because he wants to call our attention to something important that's going to happen just in the first 49 weeks. Jerusalem will be fully restored. If the decree that sends Nehemiah is in 445 B.C., that would bring you to around 396 B.C. In those 49 years, Israel will be completely rebuilt. Nehemiah helping greatly with that at the beginning of that period. That would also mean that the Old Testament canon was complete. The Old Testament canon was probably complete around the year 430 B.C. Uh, with the ministry of Malachi. And uh, so we're now into the intertestamental period around 396 B.C. when the city is fully rebuilt. Add another 62 weeks of years onto that and Messiah will come and present his claims to Israel. But after the three score and two weeks, which are added on to the first seven weeks, shall Messiah be cut off but not for himself. The 69 weeks end, 
Christ is presenting himself to the nation. Shortly after that, he's cut off, but not for himself. Literally in the Hebrew, shall have nothing. Instead of being recognized as Messiah and given kingly glory, he won't be crowned with a regal diadem, he'll be crowned with a crown of thorns. He will be despised and rejected. It refers to Israel's rejection of Messiah by means of a violent death, which other passages tell us will be crucifixion. Like Psalm 22:16, they pierced my hands and my feet. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The New Testament teaches that because Israel rejected her Messiah and the preaching of the gospel and persecuted the church for 40 years, which in the Bible is often used as a time of trial and testing, Israel had 40 years to turn to her Messiah, but she continued as an individual Jews came to Christ like Paul. But the nation as a whole rejected. And so for crucifying her Messiah and persisting in that rejection, God brings a great judgment upon Israel and sends the Roman armies in and in AD 70 destroys her city and her sanctuary. And that's what this is referring to here. It's the people of the prince that shall come that will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The Antichrist who will come in the future is from Daniel's fourth empire, Rome. And we know it was the Romans that would destroy the city and the sanctuary in AD 70. The Antichrist who will come on the scene later comes from that fourth empire. The Antichrist will not destroy the city and the sanctuary in AD 70. It's the people, the prince that will come, will do it, the Romans. When the Antichrist comes from that revived Roman Empire someday, he'll do even worse. But this is talking about the Roman invasion. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. The First Roman Jewish War actually lasted from AD 66 to 73. The big event was the destruction of the city and the temple by Titus's soldiers. But the war would rage on until AD 73 when the final uh, stronghold of Masada fell. So there would continue to be a flood of persecution and, uh, and warfare till the end of that war. Now Daniel skips to the future. He goes to the 70th week, which is beyond the church age, the tribulation period. We have what Harry Ironside called a great parenthesis between verses 25 and 27. In chapter 26, in this great parenthesis, in this great gap between the 69th week and the 70th, two major events are spelled out, Messiah's crucifixion and Jerusalem's destruction. But then he takes us to a time yet future to us, the beginning of the 70th week. And he says, he, 
and the antecedent is the prince that shall come from the fourth world empire, Rome. The prince that shall come is the Antichrist. And we know from other passages in scripture that he will become the head, like in Daniel 7, he will become the head of a 10 nation revived Roman Empire in the West. And in that position, he will make a covenant with the Jewish people who are now back in their homeland, are now a nation again, but in unbelief. In the Hebrew, it says he will make a firm covenant with the many. The majority of people in the Jewish nation will make a firm covenant with the Western leader and will look to him as their Messiah and Savior. That's one reason why I believe in Ezekiel 38, Israel's pictured as the land of unwalled villages. She's got her defenses down. Right now she's armed to the hilt. I believe she'll be trusting the Western leader to protect her if Russia comes down from the north or if the Arab enemies and the Muslim enemies surrounding her attack. She's trusting in him to be her deliverer. And that's one reason why she wants the covenant. Another is it'll involve the building of the temple. Antichrist will try to clear the way so she can build her temple. And that really interests her. Now, going into the tribulation, there are two main power blocks in world history. There is the West, the revived Roman Empire, and Gog, the head of Russia to the north, and his coalition. Kind of reminds us almost of the days of the Cold War. And neither one will feel like he has enough power to take over the world. So it's kind of stalemated. And the Antichrist feels he needs a strong ally in the Middle East. And that's a strategic part of the world because he eventually wants to take over the world. But so many of the nations in the Middle East are looking north to Russia uh, or in the south to Egypt and Northern Africa. And he needs a strong ally in the Middle East to help him in his bid towards world dominance. In the second three and a half years, he will rule the world. In the first three and a half years, he's making overtures to do so. Yes, sir. Yeah, I personally believe that Russia will make this invasion of the Holy Land in Ezekiel 38, 39. I personally believe around the midpoint. Um, when the Berlin Wall fell and Russia was much more open to democracy and the Bible, which was very welcome, prophetic scholars and pastors would warn, let's get the gospel in and Bibles in while we can. But if our understanding of prophecy is correct, that door is going to eventually close. And uh, 
the Russian leadership will prove to be very, very brutal and uh, very, very um, ambitious. And with all the problems that Putin's had in Ukraine and all of that, uh, Russia still has, I think, on paper at least, it's either the world's second or third strongest military uh, competing with China after the US. We have to be so strong, careful that we have a strong military because we don't want to lose an advantage to Russia or China. I think China already has a larger Navy than America now with more manpower, but I think America is about 10 years ahead still in technology, but we don't want to let that slip. Um, so I appreciate what you're saying, but you remember when Mitt Romney during a presidential campaign said that our biggest threat was Russia and almost everybody laughed at him? They're not laughing so much now. Russia, Russia, I believe, is going to become increasingly aggressive. Um, I admit that um, Ukrainians have done a great job fighting, fighting her invasion back, but I believe that she will become a very strong, aggressive power as we uh, enter into the tribulation period. Yeah, uh, I am surprised that the, and I'm happy that the Russian military was not as up to the job as many people felt they would, felt that they might take key, you know, the capital in a few days even. Um, but I do believe that if Gog is the head of Russia, I do believe that she will be in great strength about the middle, of, about the first part of the tribulation period and uh, I think the Antichrist is going to need a strong ally in the Middle East. Um, so I think that's going to probably be how it's going to size up. But that, that, but I, but we're there's still time for other things to develop. Yeah. But I'm glad that the Iron Curtain fell, the Berlin Wall fell, and I'm glad that uh, even though Russia's getting more aggressive now, I'm glad that uh, Ukraine's doing as well as it is. But I do believe that in time. Russia will be a very dominant power rivaling the West. And the Antichrist is going to need a strong foothold in the Middle East, which he'll get with that covenant. I personally believe that Russia will make a move around the midpoint. And God says he will wipe out five, six of the Russian coalition, Ezekiel 38, 39. I believe that's one of the things that paves the way for the Antichrist to take over the world. And then he doesn't need Israel anymore, and he breaks his covenant with her right in the middle of the week and turns on her and shows the hatred he had for her all along, though he was only using her. But you raise good points. Yes, ma'am. I think it's a real concern. I think it's a real concern. Of course, if you go nuclear, everybody gets blown up, but in a traditional warfare sense. Yeah, it's a real concern um, if Russia and um, China combine. They have had historically their own serious differences, so 
hopefully it will be a very loose, awkward marriage at best, but uh, it is a concern, yes, Sandy, and the need, uh, I, was, I saw something today on TV where there is a major concern about recruitment for our military services today. There's so much concern about political correctness, it seems, and many people don't feel like they want to even sign up uh, because uh, they think they're supposed to sign up and fight and not, you know, be lectured to about political correctness. And uh, so there's some real concerns about, you know, our military getting renewed. Wonderful fighting men and women, but we, we need to be renewed. Um, well, what we read then is, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. If these are weeks of seven years as we believe they are, then that would be seven years, and this is why we believe the tribulation is seven years. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. In the middle of the seven years, three and a half years in, he will turn on the Jewish people and he will stop the daily burnt offering on the brazen altar of sacrifice. He will stop the daily sacrifice of worship. In the very tribulation temple, he helped the Jewish people build in Jerusalem in the first three and a half years. And he'll turn on them. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, 3 and 4, Paul says that he will oppose himself and magnify himself against all that is called God or that is worshipped. And he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. In the second three and a half years of the tribulation, the official state religion of the world will be the worship of Satan and the Antichrist. And he'll recognize no other religion, true or false. And it'll be a very scary time. And according to Revelation 13, the false prophet will set up in the honor of the Antichrist an image of the beast or the Antichrist in the temple and demand all men worship it or else. And this, no doubt, is the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, which will stand where it ought not, that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24, 15. It says that he will not only cause the daily sacrifice in the temple to cease, but, the, but he says, for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. He's going to set up the abomination of desolation in the temple and effectively end all traditional Jewish worship and demand that he himself be worshipped as a god from the very Jewish temple in Jerusalem itself. And in 2 Thessalonians 2.4 when it says that he as God will sit in the temple of God and show himself that he is God. There are two main words in the Greek New Testament for temple. One is hieron which means the temple structure as a whole, all the buildings and the outer court of the Jews and all. That's not the word that's used. It's the other word, naos, N-A-O-S, which means the sanctuary itself, the holy place and the holy of holies. He will set himself up in the innermost part of the temple and demand that 
the Jews and all men worship him as God or else. Take the 666 mark of the beast or else. Even until the consummation, he will go on a desolating rampage from the midpoint till the consummation of the 70 weeks at the end of the tribulation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. But at the end of the 70 weeks, Christ will come back and the one who did all this, the Hebrew can be translated the desolator. That uh, that which is determined shall be poured upon the desolator. In other words, Christ will come back and he will judge Antichrist and defeat him. And we read in Revelation 19, 11 through 21, that when Christ uh, leads heaven's armies on white horses into Armageddon, in the midst of the battle, the Antichrist and the false prophet will be unceremoniously dragged from the field in utter defeat and cast alive into the lake of fire, Gehenna hell, and be the first inhabitants of it and forever be vanquished. As 2 Thessalonians 2.8 puts it, and then shall that wicked one appear whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Well, I had in my notes, didn't get to them, <laughs> but I had in my notes six reasons. I thought this was important. Six reasons why we believe these are weeks of seven years. Making 490 years. One reason we believe that is because if they were weeks of days or months, even, you know, 70 months, a little over six years, there won't be nearly enough time for all this to happen. It just won't fit. Uh, another thing is Daniel's thinking in terms of sabbatical years, units of seven. Israel, according to 2 Chronicles 36, was sent into captivity because she didn't observe the sabbatical years and let the land rest. And God said, I'm going to have 70 years of captivity so that Israel will get those 70 sabbatical years back that weren't observed and the land will get a good rest. And since the sabbatical year is the last of a seven-year unit, God's thinking in terms of sabbatical years when he sent Israel into captivity and now he's thinking in terms of sabbatical years when he gives the 70 weeks prophecy. These are weeks of sabbatical years. They're seven years each. And uh, a very important reason is when this 70th week is referred to, when the half of the week is referred to, the Bible calls it a time, times, and half a time, a one-year unit, a two-year unit, and a half-a-year unit, three and a half years. It's also called 42 months and 1260 days. So we know the 70th week is a week of seven years. That would mean, through consistency of interpretation, the first 69 weeks would have to be two. So there are a lot of compelling reasons for taking these as weeks of seven years each. I believe that as part of the covenant that the Antichrist makes with the Israeli nation back in the land, he'll work it out for them so they can rebuild their temple. And there's some people over in Israel right now 
who are very, very eager about that. A man named David Reagan in his Lamb Lions ministry said, the third temple is ready to be set up at any time. They've got all the furniture built and everything. A temporary temple or tabernacle can be set up in four hours, and then they would build the permanent one. So they're ready when they got the green light. The daily prayer of faithful Jews all over the world had been, may it be acceptable to thee, eternal God, our God and the God of our fathers, that the sanctuary may be rebuilt in our days and our portion assigned us in thy law. There will we serve thee in reverence as of old and bygone days. And in 1967, for the first time in 1897 years, the Jews took control of the temple area. And the groundwork is being laid for a whole lot that's going to come. Do you know for years in Jerusalem, students have been trained in the practice of offering sacrifice, taught in the Hebrew universities. There are a lot of people who are getting ready for this. And when Antichrist signs this peace pact, and allows Israel to rebuild that temple, that will be the catalyst for all of it. As J. Vernon McGee points out, in so many words, when Israel signs this peace pact with the Antichrist, they will think of it in terms of entering the millennium, <laughs> but they will be entering the tribulation, and they will be in for a terrible shock. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.